Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. This is episode three of Mindset by the great Carol Dweck. I had to take a pause on the last episode. I ran out of whiskey. I kid you not. I'm out of whiskey. But you know, we're playing a little drinking game where if I say I kid you not, you got to drink. <sighs> so the claw is the law. So Carol did a bunch of shit, talked about the growth mindset, fixed mindset, go listen to the other episodes, and <laughs> on the rumble phones. Fuck, dude, this is the problem with having longer episodes. You know, I'm, it's like, this, this drinking game, I'm playing the drinking game too, but <sighs> take a breath. <sighs> Into it. Can everything about people be changed, and should people try to change everything they can? That's a question she's posing. The growth mindset is the belief that abilities can be cultivated but it doesn't tell you how much change is possible or how long it will take. And it also doesn't mean that everything, like preferences or values, can or should be changed. Carol says she was once in a taxi and the driver had opera on the radio. Thinking to start a conversation, Carol was like, oh, do you like opera? And he's like, no. <laughs> well, uh... I hate it. I've always hated it. Carol's like, um, I don't mean to pry, but why are you listening to it? Uh, and then the taxi driver is like, you know, my father, he was an opera buff. He always listened to his vintage records, at, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think that um, I really need to like it to be sophisticated. Uh, he, And so this taxi driver is like listening to opera, trying his best all to no avail he fucking hates it and carol says hey dog give yourself a break there are plenty of cultured and intelligent people who can't stand opera like for me i tried hard to like golf i just can't man i hate it like if you go up so the way golf works is you want to have the lowest score so adding points really bad adding like one point is pretty fucking bad adding like five points is like you probably ruined your day adding 20 points is like you're you might as well quit now and so when you get up to the t and you hit your drive okay if you hit it out of bounds it's such a ruthless and, and unfair and just horrible penalty if you hit it out of bounds add two to your score try again and then if you hit it out of bounds again <laughs> dude you just now added four to your score. Your day's probably ruined. Try again. Uh, like, I hate it. I hate golf. And so she's saying is like, yes, I could learn how to play golf. If I truly had a growth mindset, I could honestly get really good at golf. But that doesn't mean that I should or could ever fucking like it. So let's look at a couple historical geniuses of days of old. Thomas Edison. Carol says, yes, he was a genius. But he was not always a genius. His, bi his biographer, Paul, uh, was sifting through all the available information 
And he, and he thinks that you Thomas at Jefferson, Edison, whatever, same to me. Um, they were like regular people, both of them. I'm just going at it. Both Jeffersons, both Thomases. There we go. God damn it. It's the claw. They were like regular people until they got great. What eventually set uh, Thomas Edison apart was his mindset and drive. He never stopped being curious. He never stopped tinkering. He never stopped looking for challenges. Long after other young men had taken up their roles in society, he rode the rails from city to city, learning everything he could about telegraphy and working his way up the ladder of telegraphers through nonstop self-education and invention. And later, much, of the dis much to the disappointment of his wives, wives, plural wives, interesting, much of the disappointment of his wives, his consuming love remained self-improvement and invention. So Thomas Edison, you know, just like Thomas Jefferson, they started out, they were just like normal boys. He's a real boy. You know, like he could have been mistaken for Pinocchio. But his mindset, his drive, his desire to learn, it never stopped. You know, when his when his peers, you know, they got a little bit fat, you know, oh, you know, I just uh, accept that I'm a railroad man. And, you know, they're like just now satisfied being a fucking railroad attendant. Thomas Jefferson is like, cool. <laughs> God damn it. It's the claw. Thomas Edison. Hey, man, we're American. You know, it's all the same to us. There's basic, they're basically British back then. It's so, so old. Um, but Thomas, Thomas Edison was, was like spending all his worldly money self-educating about telegraphy. Okay. And then, oh my God, he's so good. But his consuming love was self-improvement forever that is a growth mindset what about mozart i kid you not god damn it i'm gonna buy shit online soon <laughs> i'm just gonna have like a 10 minute intermission where we all just buy stuff online uh, okay mozart mozart labored for more than 10 years until he produced any work that we admire today before then his compositions were not that original or interesting actually they were often patched together chunks taken from other composers. So think about that. And we've talked about Mozart a bunch because like Mozart is the example to disprove this growth mindset shit. Mozart's just a fucking genius, except Mozart's dad was a composer. And then, you know, his dad's whole financial fucking income was child slavery and having Mozart be like the musician of the king's court. And so, yeah, if you're not allowed to have any friends, your dad's a composer and he just like, you know, like kind of child abuses you until you're a genius, like you're going to be good. But it took him 10 years until he was really good. And this chapter is about the real ingredients in achievement. It's about why some people achieve less than expected and why some people achieve more. And Carol says back on earth, meaning we're not geniuses here, back on earth, we measured students' mindsets as they made the transition to junior high school. Did they believe their intelligence was a fixed trait or something they could develop? And then she followed them for the next two years. So, hey, well, let's, let's go. Well, this seems interesting. Let's go study students. Okay, do, you know, and first you got to figure out, do they have a fixed mindset or growth mindset? And then, you know, a longitudinal study. And that's one of the things with the expertise and expert performance episode. You know, that was the thing of, you know, it's really hard to do longitudinal studies on expertise. And so Carol's like fucking trailblazing over here. She's going to study these students for two years because the transition to junior high is a time of great challenge for many students. 
the work gets much harder, the grading policies toughen up, the teaching becomes less personalized, and all this happens while students are coping with their new adolescent bodies and roles. Grades begin to suffer, but not everyone's grades begin to suffer. Nope. In her study, only the students with the fixed mindset showed the decline. The students with the growth mindset showed an increase in their grades over the next two years. So, hey, you, you study these students, you know, they're growing hair where they never thought they'd grow hair. They're having all these emotions. You know, they're like, maybe I should fight my teacher right now. They're like, wow, I've never thought like that. What's going on? Oh, oh my God, are those boobs? I never even understood why anybody liked boobs. Two groups of students, though, both going through the same shit. Some are fixed mindset, some are growth mindset. Two years later, the ones that are struggling are the fixed mindset kids and the growth mindset ones. They're learning. When the two groups had entered junior high, their past records were indistinguishable. In the more benign environment of grade school, they'd earned the same grades and achieved the same test scores. So it's basically saying like, you know, in fucking elementary school, dude, like you could you could probably like if you were in a human body you could probably be a dog and like pass but when you get to junior high school only when they hit the challenges of junior high did they begin to pull apart here's how the students with the fixed mindset explain their poor grades now first of all these are hilarious and second of all i'm so glad that carol left these in um many maligned their abilities so many were like oh, my abilities are bad one of the fixed mindset students was like i am the stupidest another was like i suck in math uh another said the math teacher is a fat male slut and the english teacher is a slob with a pink ass the teacher's on crack and carol's like these interesting analyses of the problem hardly provide a roadmap for future success so she left fat pink ass and uh but then she's like you know it's interesting feedback from my subjects but it doesn't really tell us much but with the threat of failure looming students with the growth mindset instead mobilized their resources for learning they told us that they too sometimes felt overwhelmed by the fat male slut but their response was to dig in and do what it takes. They were like George Danzig. Hmm? Who's that? Well, thanks for asking, Carol says. One day, as usual, George, uh, so George is a graduate student in mathematics at Berkeley. One day, as usual, George rushed in late to his math class and quickly copied the two homework problems from the blackboard. When he later went to do them, he found them really hard and it took him several days of hard work to crack them open and solve them. But since he was so fucking late, when he came back to hand in the problems, turns out they were not homework problems at all. They were two famous math problems that had never been solved. Think about that shit. So like the teachers, you know, he writes two famous problems that no one, including him, has ever solved. And then He's like, you know, this is going to be a hard class and, you know, you, you never hope to solve these problems. They're impossible. And then, you know, fucking George is is late all the time. He's so late that there, there's no teacher or students left to his class. Okay, think about how late you have to be for that. Like, he's like an hour late to class or something. And he goes up and he sees these problems. He's like, hmm, I wasn't in class, 
I'm pretty sure this is probably homework. Cool. Copies them down, works on them for three fucking days, comes back. Idiot George solves them. Turns out these were like unsolvable problems in the world. That is the growth mindset. Our students with the fixed mindset who are facing the hard transition saw challenge as a threat. It threatened to unmask their flaws and turn them from winners into losers. In fact, in the fixed mindset, adolescence is one big test. Am I smart or dumb? Am I good looking or ugly? Am I cool or nerdy? Am I a winner or a loser? In the fixed mindset, a loser is forever. It's no wonder that many adolescents mobilize their resources not for learning, but to protect their egos. And one of the main ways they do this, aside from providing vivid portraits of their teachers, is by not trying. So think about that. So what she's saying is kind of like my relationship with jujitsu. Like I remember telling my instructor one time, you know, this is before I determined if I was going to really like fully try hard as fucking train MMA or like was I not and uh, I'm 15 and I was like, hey, I don't really like jujitsu. You know, if if I fight someone in the street, I'm either going to be stronger than them or better at jujitsu. The likelihood that somebody I fight in the street is better than me at both of those is super low. I'm not interested. But that was really because I was unable to be fucking humble enough to open my mind. In fact, students with a fixed mindset tell us that their main goal in school, aside from looking smart, is to exert as little effort as possible. Think about that. Remember all the cool kids they used to sleep in school? They're like, yeah, you know, I just, I'm, fucking, I don't know, I'm, like, I'm not going to try hard here. They heartily agree with statements like, in school, my main goal is to do things as easily as possible so I don't have to work hard. This low effort syndrome is often seen as a way that adolescents assert their independence from adults, but it is also a way that students with the fixed mindset protect themselves. You know, if you're, let's say you're scared to talk to girls, so you're just like, dude, that's a waste of time. I'm not going to talk to girls. That's really, you're just protecting your ego. For students with the growth mindset, it doesn't make sense to stop trying. You need to go talk to a hundred girls, build that pipeline, get the get the pipeline of twenty, you know, hot leads, and then you know you got five that that turn into opportunities. You know, a couple of them are in like stage one and stage two, but then you get a few of them at like stage four, and maybe you know you close three of them, and then you're you know you're you're closing the deal with three opportunities because you talk to a hundred. Hypothetically, no offense, you know, me sucking at hunting. You know, it doesn't get better with less practice hunting. Like if I just opt out, I don't get any better. And if you have the growth mindset, that's the real truth. Carol says, later I'll describe the project in which we taught junior high students the growth mindset. What I want to tell you now is how teaching them this mindset unleashed their effort. One day, we were introducing the growth mindset to a group of new students. All at once, Jimmy. The most hardcore, turned off, low effort kid in the group looked up with tears in his eyes and he said, you mean I don't have to be dumb? And so, okay, so she's teaching everybody about the growth mindset and you know, you got the kid with the emo hair that probably doesn't exist anymore, but you know, you got the kid twerking on, on Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, bro. I don't know. I know about guns. I don't know about, you know, kids these days, but you got the cool kid, the cool, lazy, checked out kid. And he's like barely paying attention. But but Carol's getting through. You know, her witch powers are speaking to his heart. And he starts to cry. 
in class and he looks up at her and you're like and he's like you mean i don't have to be dumb and dude i joke but i seriously felt that too i was like you mean i'm not retarded i'm just lazy and carol says from that day on that kid started to work because like if you're bad at math if you're just not quantitative like why would you ever work at it you know it's like you might as well just you know, cut your legs and put chili powder in them but this kid he started staying up late to do his homework uh, which he never even used to do. He started handing in assignments early so he could get feedback. He now believed that working hard was not something that made you vulnerable, but something that made you smarter. And then he started getting good grades. And dude, and that's the thing. Like, it's it's all cool and good and whatever. Like, a growth mindset, look at my dick. But, but like, when you actually start bearing the fruits of the growth mindset, so like, you know, I, I am not successful in many ways but like in some things i'm pretty good and pretty successful and i kid you not oh god ah, drink i wasn't even trying to do that ah, here we are but it's like a feeling of like why didn't i understand this before like why did i waste five years doing jujitsu and i'm still basically a white belt like i wasted so much time effort is worth it if you have the growth mindset she followed um, medical students and found the same thing. Uh, once again, we found that the students with the growth mindset earned better grades in the course. You know, even when they did poorly on a particular test, they bounced back on the next one. When students with a fixed mindset did poorly, they often didn't make a comeback. You know, they're like, I just don't like dentistry. Mm, or I just don't like ophthalmology. Or, you know, my gynecology rotation is really cool, but everybody's old. I don't know. In the fixed mindset, Students just jumped in and started memorizing and making excuses if they failed. So, okay, so she's like illustrating how you know, even the approach to studying, even the approach to learning uh, with a fixed mindset, you know, kids like jump in, maybe they give one good hard effort, they just start memorizing, and then if they don't, if they don't succeed, they're like, eh, you know, I tried my best. But the students with a growth mindset completely take charge of learning and motivation. So instead of plunging unthinkingly into memorizing the course material, they said, I looked for themes and underlying principles across lectures. I went over mistakes until I was certain I understood them. They were studying to learn, not just to ace the test. You know, it's like in, in lifting, there's a concept of rep integrity. So, you know, why are you lifting? Are you lifting because you're being forced to by the coach? And then if you are, everything that you do you're you're just trying to make it by you're just trying to not have the coach yell at you or are you lifting because you want to get fucking jacked because you want the optimal result and rep integrity is how do you do your reps when no one's fucking watching how much integrity do you have when you don't have a coach do you do good form or do you give into the ego and just try to like you know bench really really heavy with super fucking shitty weights you know what do you do and so that's the thing if you have the growth mindset there's no reason to you know if you're not strong enough cool that's a problem and you should kill yourself but before you do that get stronger use good form she says our pre-med students with the fixed mindset would do almost anything for a good grade except for taking charge of the learning process to make sure it happens that's that's pretty crazy they do anything 
any cheating, any deception. But, but what they wouldn't do is take a step back, go really slow and practice it until it was impossible they made any mistakes. Um, she brings up some genius named Michael. Once again, the trend of good notes here. Um, I don't fucking know. Michael's some kid who's like good at stuff. But um, she says he probably started with some special ability, but um, his best feature is his extreme love of learning and challenge. His parents could not tear him away from his demanding activities. The same is true for every, every prodigy she's looked at. Most often, people believe that the gift is the ability itself, Yet what feeds it is that constant, endless curiosity and challenge-seeking. So, I clearly didn't do a good job of taking notes on that, but there's some bitch named Michael, he's a genius. But when she studies the genius, she realizes that, like, the thing that makes Michael special is not his ability. Like, that's really good, but is but that's a byproduct of the fucking just savagery that he puts himself through. And I don't even remember this. I blame the whiskey and the claws. But uh, she, Carol says, so with all that context, can everybody do well? She says, now back to the first question. Is everybody capable of great things with the right mindset? Could you march into the worst high school in your state and teach the students college calculus? If you could, then one thing, then one thing would be clear. With the right mindset and the right teaching, people people are capable of a lot more than we think. As it turns out, it's true. Some guy taught a bunch of underprivileged kids calculus cha-ching. What's more, most of the most of the Garfield students earned test grades that were high enough to gain them college credits. In the whole country that year, only a few hundred Mexican Americans passed the test at this level. This means there's a lot of intelligence out there being wasted by underestimating students' potential to develop. So, reading context clues here, but, uh, you know, there's some school. It's named Garfield. A lot of Mexicans there, apparently. And um, we're just cool. It's all, it's all good, man. And so this teacher goes in, uses the growth mindset teachings, teaches all those kids how to do well at calculus, and they all get fucking good grades at calculus. And, you know, they were only like a few hundred Mexican-American students in the whole country that passed the test at this level and no one would have thought that they would come from that shithole except for carol because they've got the growth mindset um so that's all really interesting uh but she moves into one of the one of the more like widely publicized things about her research is that there's danger of praise and danger of positive labels um, if people have such potential to achieve, how can they gain faith in their potential? How can we give them the confidence they need to go for it? So, okay, if, if the growth mindset's true, let's just accept it. We're like, anybody can learn anything through deliberate focus fucking practice, you bitch. If that's true, how can we cultivate that in people? Well, maybe we, we would praise them. Maybe we praise their ability in order to convey they have what it takes. So maybe you're like, you're really good at math. In fact, more than 80% of parents told us it was necessary to praise children's ability so as to foster their confidence and achievement. You know, just makes a lot of sense. So she's saying like, okay, how, okay, let's say growth mindset's true. How do we grow that in children? Like, do we, 
is praise important? Like, do we praise their ability? Like, if they do a good thing in soccer, like, we're like, oh, you're a really good goalie. And 80% of parents are like, yep, that's it. But then she began to worry. We thought about how people with the fixed mindset already focus too much on their ability. Is it high enough? Will it look good? Wouldn't praising people's ability focus them on it even more? Wouldn't it be telling them that's what we value? And even worse, that we can read their their deep underlying ability from their performance? Isn't that teaching them the fixed mindset? So what she's saying is like, okay, well, a lot of people think praise is the right answer if you want to you know, teach people this growth mindset. But you know, if you praise their ability, wouldn't that just make them like more focused on their ability? If you're like, man, you're really good at jujitsu, Troy. Wouldn't I be like, well, fuck, I guess, I guess I never can lose now. So she tested it. She did a study um, and she praised some of the students for their ability. And those students were told, wow, you got eight right. That's a really good score. You must be smart. We praised the other students on their effort. Wow, you got eight right. That's a really good score. You must have worked really hard. They were not made to feel like they had some special gift. They were praised for doing what it takes to succeed. So think about that. Okay, so two groups of students both take a test. You praise one group and you're like, man, you're really good at math. You praise another group and you're like, man, you clearly studied a lot and put in the time. Fuck yeah. Both groups were equal to begin with. But right after the praise, they began to differ. As we feared, the praise of the ability pushed students right into the fixed mindset. And they showed all the signs of it. When we gave them a choice, they rejected a challenging new tasks that they could learn from. They didn't want to do anything that could, that could expose their flaws and call into question their talent. You know, so when you're like, Troy, you're so good at jiu-jitsu. I'm like, well, fuck. I can't let that story be false. I can't like really lose anymore or I won't be good at jujitsu ju- at ju- compared to if you're like, man, Troy, like you're really open-minded and you're willing to just like do the hard thing to learn. Like, mm, clearly not. Uh, and, and she found that, you know, praising kids abilities, put them right in that fixed mindset. <sighs> I kid you not. I got a little fucked up example here. You know, I'm not saying this is right, but it's fucked up and it happened. Okay. So, um, I was a financial advisor back in the day and uh, there were like 20 different trainees starting out with me but um you know so so the way that these these companies work is that they you know they hire so the companies hire 20 kids out of college okay and they say hey your job is to go find money and the ones that make it they pay them a fucking shitload like 500 grand a year because they go out and they find money and they come back and then like they pay for themselves they're their own little business but what really happens is one out of 20 make it, and then five out of 20 are positive cash flow, but they quit, and then the firm takes their clients, and then 15 out of 20 are like break even, okay? Maybe maybe there's five that like lose money, but on the average, that's a profitable model. So there were 20 other trainees starting with me, but I knew, dude, that it was fucking war, okay? Like, I didn't, I didn't even want to talk to them at risk of poisoning my psychotic approach with their reasonableness. And, and when I did talk to them, and I, I kid you not, <laughs> drink. I'm, uh, I'm ashamed of this. Um, but when I did talk to them, I'd give them fixed mindset compliments. <laughs> In 
my, with the goal of of flipping them in the fixed mindset so they fail out and I win. Not cool. Pretty fucked up. But hey, man, the truth is never mean here. And uh, you know, when I talk to them, I'd be like, "Man, you're just so naturally good at sales. Like, I just don't have it, but you do. You're naturally good." hoping that they would start to identify as being good at sales and that they wouldn't take any risks and that I could step over their carcasses after they failed out. I will say I engaged in that behavior before I read the book, The Go-Giver, and I would not do it that way if I could go back. But, you know, I was just trying to replicate Carol's experiment results. In contrast, when students were praised for effort, 90% of them wanted the challenging new task. So if they're like, hey, no bad ideas here, you know, just, just try your best. You're really good. You're so good at trying hard. Okay. Like I don't care about your performance right now, but like you're doing all the stuff that leads to success. They, all the students like jumped at the opportunity to take on a challenge. Even if that meant they might fail. If success had meant they were intelligent, then less than success meant they were deficient. But if success is just trying really hard, Hey man, you fail like whatever the effort kids just thought that something difficult means, hey man, I just have to apply more effort or try new strategies. They didn't see it as a failure. They didn't think it reflected on their intellect. And, and you know, this is clearly the episode of just like truth and honesty, but I used to be so fucking bad at sales. Like when I first got out of college, you know, my only sales experience was getting my friend to drink his own urine at chapter so we could go to a fucking handgun training class, dude, okay? So, like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And if you looked on paper for those first couple months, I was doing horrible, okay? Like, I was just, you know, like 47% close rate for two months in a row when you had to be 55 or you'd get fired. And there was, like, a three-month probationary period. So, it's like, if I don't figure this out in a month, like... I'm going to get fired before I can even start. But I met with all of our like QA quality assurance people who like their whole job is to listen to sales calls. And I met with them and I was like, Hey, help me go over my calls. Like let's, I need to study the recorded call bank. Like I need to be good. I was crying out to the ether and on paper, you'd never predict that I'd eventually be super good at sales. Uh, but I, and I even remember telling them, like I'd meet with them. I'm like, Hey, I am horrible. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I hate sucking at things. And they, and they'd be like, Oh no, 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 you, you don't suck. And I'm like, listen up lady. I'm not attaching value judgments here. I still love myself. I still have a positive attitude, but I can also objectively say that my current performance sucks ass. And if you, if you have the growth mindset, Hey man, I'm just breathing. I, I'm doing mouth to mouth with that ass, but you know what's in that inside that ass? Air. Okay, I'm, I'm about to get air. In other crazy shit, she did a bunch more studies of this, but she found that like the the ability praise students, forty percent of them. So it's like you're really good at jujitsu. Forty percent of them lied. Like they would lie. They would rather lie than have the truth come in and show that they're actually not as good as they think they are. So telling children they're smart in the end makes them feel dumber and act dumber, but claim they're smarter. I don't think that's what we're aiming for when we put positive labels on gifted, talented, brilliant uh, on people. We don't mean to rob them of their zest for challenge and their recipe for success, but that's the danger. You know, so that's, that's what she's saying is like, 
when you when you have a gifted and talented class and when you have a uh, like a resource room class that's a self-fulfilling prophecy man and if you you know both of those people fall into the fixed mindset on opposite ends of the spectrum one the you know the resource room is like oh, I'm an idiot and then they become an idiot and and the gifted and talented is like hey I'm not ever gonna take any risks because I have to be perfect all the time and, and Carol says I once was a math whiz in high school I got a 99 in algebra a 99 in geometry and a 99 in trigonometry and I was on the math team I scored up there with the boys on the Air Force test of visual spatial ability which apparently boys are supposed to be good at visual spatial ability because god damn it I guess I'm not a boy so censor that fuck hello it's the claw I kid you not <sighs> drink uh, so she was bad at math and then she had a she or no she was really good at math and then she had a teacher Mr. Hellman who didn't believe that girls could do math and her grades declined she never took math again she agreed with Mr. Hellman that girls couldn't do math but she didn't think it applied to her so Carol was this math genius she met fucking Mr. Hellman and she started to do shitty and she quit because she had a fixed mindset that's what happens but it doesn't happen to everybody it mainly happens to people who are in a fixed mindset it's when people are thinking in terms of fixed traits that the stereotypes get to them negative stereotypes say you and your group are permanently inferior you know white people can't dance it's like well i can't dance that must be true um, only people in the fixed mindset resonate with this message growth mindset's like i just don't like dancing but i could if i wanted to maybe i should learn how to dance when people are in a growth mindset, the stereotype doesn't disrupt their performance. The growth mindset takes the teeth out of the stereotype and makes people better able to fight back. You think I can't jump? Watch this. And I one time jumped over three people and, and, and did a sidekick board break. You tell, tell me I can't jump, bitch. They don't believe in permanent inferiority. And if they are behind, well, then they'll just work harder, seek help, and try to catch up. You know, it's like, hey, yeah, I'm really bad at sales right now. Like, I'm the world's shittiest deer hunter right now but you just try to catch up in short the growth mindset lets people even those who are targets of negative labels use and develop their minds fully their, their heads are not filled with limiting thoughts a fragile sense of belonging and a belief that other people can define them like you don't know me bitch watch me jump Whew, fuck Whew. so carol done great she's um introduced the mindsets She's talked about a bunch of shit. I'm like, my memory's a little hazy because of the claws, but here we are. And now she's moving into sports, the mindset of a champion. In sports, everybody believes in talent, even or especially the experts. In, in fact, sports are where the idea of a natural comes from. Someone who looks like an athlete, moves like an athlete, is an athlete, all without trying to. And you look at a cat. Could you teach a cat Quidditch? Obviously, because they're so they're so supple. They're like leopards. So great is the belief in natural talent that many scouts search only for naturals and teams will vie with each other to pay exorbitant amounts to recruit them. So what that's saying is like the scouts, everybody, everybody's wrong. Everybody has a fixed mindset. So when they're looking to build a good team, they try to find that 16-year-old genius instead of 
trying to realize that everything can be learned through practice and trying to find those people that have those traits, even if maybe they're, maybe they started one year later than that genius, but maybe you buy them for, you know, you give them a contract for 8 million instead of 80 million. And she talks about this uh, fellow named Billy Bean. Billy Bean was a natural. Everybody agreed he was the next Babe Ruth. But Billy Bean lacked one thing, the mindset of a champion. Um, so I think he's some baseball player, okay? And then uh, there's this book and movie, Moneyball. Haven't seen it. Kind of prejudiced against Jonah Hill because he was fat. Now he's leaner, so maybe I will see it. But that was back in the fat days. By the time Bean was a sophomore in high school, he was the highest scorer on the basketball team, the quarterback on his football team, and the best hitter on his baseball team. So this fellow named Billy, he's really good at basketball, basketball, baseball, and football. His talent was real. But the minute things went wrong, Bean searched for something to break. So he's that precocious youth, that movie star who, you know, if you get the wrong color of M&Ms, he'll fucking kill you. He didn't know what to fa- he didn't know how to fail. He didn't know what it was like to fail. As he moved up from the minors to the majors, things got much worse. Every at bat became a nightmare, another opportunity for humiliation. And with every at bat that he failed, he went to pieces. As one scout said, Billy was of the opinion that he should never make an out. Does that sound familiar? So, so, so basically, there's this like really, really good baseball player guy, but anytime he fucking slightly fails, he loses it. He freaks out. He's of the opinion that he should never, ever even make an out. But the thing is, if you're trying to hit home runs, sometimes you got to swing for the fences, which means you're either going to hit a home run or you're going to strike out. He never would do that. Did Billy Bean try to fix his, prog- his problems in constructive ways? No. Because this is a story of the fixed mindset. Natural talent should not need effort. Effort is for the others, the less endowed. In short, the natural doesn't ask for help. He doesn't analyze his deficiencies and practice them away. The very idea of deficiencies is terrifying. Being so imbued with a fixed mindset, Bean was trapped. Trapped by his huge talent. Bean was the player who never recovered from the fixed mindset. But Bean the incredibly successful major league executive did. How did this happen? So, okay, so what that's basically saying is that like, this fella got good as hell, but he still was never really able to make it. Now he was that guy that like, ah, he he was always an eight out of 10, a nine out of 10, but he never could get to a 10 out of 10. He just had the fixed mindset as a player. But when he moved to be a major league baseball executive, he actually was able to be growth-minded. How did it happen? Well, it's the plot of the movie Moneyball, which my understanding uh, about the Moneyball is like they use data and they figure out that, you know, talent's bullshit and like people who score runs is a lot more important. And so they recruited a bunch of players who were just really good at scoring runs. And so... They built this whole team. They used statistics. It was this cool movie, Jonah Hill. Um, and it dawned on Bean that mindset was more important than talent. Armed with these insights, Bean, as general manager of the 2002 Oakland Athletics, led his team to a season of 103 victories, winning the division championships and almost breaking the record for consecutive wins. All the while, 
being the second lowest paid team in baseball history. He didn't buy talent, he bought mindset. So the thing he couldn't overcome when he was his own player, when he was playing baseball himself, when he was an executive, he realized that, fuck, it's actually not talent, man. Like, look at me, I was the most talented person ever, but like, I was never really that able to help my team win. What actually is important is scoring runs. And how do you score runs? It's those people who are disciplined. It's those people who just like constantly are practicing. And so he recruited a bunch of cheaper players who didn't have any of that that other bullshit baggage with them. And then they won a lot of baseball games. Hell yeah. And I think a lot of this is the idea of, of, the, of the natural. So, you know, it's somebody that's like, oh, he's just a natural at it. Boxing experts relied on physical measurements called tails of the tape to identify naturals. They included measurements of the fighter's fist, reach, chest expansion, and weight. Muhammad Ali failed these measurements. He was not a natural. He had great speed, but he did not have the physique of a great fighter. He didn't have the strength. He didn't have the classical moves. He boxed all wrong. He didn't block punches with his arms and elbows. He punched in rallies like an amateur. He kept his jaw exposed. So, so the t- apparently, and I didn't know this, but so the tail of the tape is like the, the measuring tape. It's there's an optimal, fixed measurement of the best boxer for each weight class. What happens when you got a fellow named Muhammad Ali, best boxer that's ever lived, that didn't do any of that? Sonny Liston, Ali's adversary, was a natural. He had all the size, strength, speed, and power you'd expect. It was unimaginable that Ali could beat Sonny Liston. The matchup was so ludicrous that the arena was only half full for the fight. But aside from his quickness, Ali's brilliance was his mind, his brains, not his brawn. He sized up his opponent and he went for the mental jugular. Ali won. Ali's victory over Liston is boxing history. A famous boxing manager reflects on Ali. He was a paradox. His physical performances in the ring were all wrong, yet his brain was always in complete, perfect working condition. He showed us all, with a broad smile written on his face, that victories come from the heart, not from the head. And think about Dan Gable, dude. He was even with that one wrestler guy who was like a, uh, a year ahead of him and a weight class below of him, uh, below him, but challenged him in practice. Dan was even. And instead of being like, man, that was a tough match, Dan spent four months in the pain cave vowing to never have that happen again he wanted to show the iowa team that he was going to be the best fucking wrestler on the team and lastly carol brings up michael jordan you know um maybe i'll cover his biography is really interesting it's pretty good i'm not a big sports guy but dude it's fucking good um he was cut from the high school varsity basketball team and the fixed mindset people look at this and they laugh at the coach who cut him <laughs> how could you ignore michael jordan like you cut michael jordan you're an idiot but maybe another interpretation is maybe he actually wasn't that good at the time when jordan was cut from his varsity team he was devastated his mother told him to go back and discipline himself that's what he did he used to leave the house at six in the morning to go practice before school at the university of north carolina he constantly worked on his weaknesses The coach was taken aback by his willingness to work harder than anyone else. Once, after the team lost the the last game of the season, Jordan went and practiced his shot for hours and hours. He was was preparing for next year. Dude, that's like exactly the same 
uh, thing that happened to Dan Gable. Like I, I can't remember the exact situation, but they just lost something, or he like just lost his one match. Yeah, he lost to the Larry Owings guy by two points, and it was the last match of the season, and he was like, fuck it. He's like, come drill with me, and he went and he drilled for hours and hours and hours. Because even at the height of Michael Jordan's success and fame, after he'd made himself into an athletic genius, his dogged practice remained legendary. Former Bulls coach John Bach called him a genius who constantly wants to upgrade his skills. And so what Carol's getting into is effort. You know, if you're a natural, if you're a genius, do you need effort, damn it? I don't know. What the fuck do we think? But if you want to think with me, I kid you not, it's gonna be a million episodes. We're gonna, have, we're gonna have one more, and maybe one more after that. I don't fucking know. Here we are. We're in it. We're having the growth mindset. If you want to learn about that and more and everything, you're gonna have to tune in next time on the next episode of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Check us out. CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.